1: Hey guys. I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for being here as we kick off a brand new week. Happy Monday in Biden's America. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Please follow me on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and Truth Social, I'm at Monica Crowley. You can also send me an email about this show. What's on your mind? Things we're covering, things we're not covering. Ask me a question. Send me an email to Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget we have this segment called The Complaint Department where we air our pet peeves. And my pet peeve last week about... Being cut off when you're in the fast lane really struck a nerve with you guys. So send me your pet peeves for the complaint department as well as anything else that's on your mind. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Well, today I want to deal with what the propaganda press is trying to tell us now, uh, apart from the lies, which is par for the course, but they're doing something. They're doing something else now, something that's a little more interesting than just their run-of-the-mill propaganda and lies. They're trying to tell us something about Biden and the Democrats, and it's coming from a certain person or people. And I'm going to tell you who, and I'm going to tell you exactly what is going on here. We'll also talk with Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, a Republican from upstate New York, about what on earth is going on in Congress. She went to the same college that I did, not at the same time, but she and I have become friends, we've bonded, and she is just a fantastic member of Congress in a very deep blue state, New York, but she's also an incredible, fierce fighter. And she just introduced legislation to stop investments with the Chinese Communist Party and allowing allowing Americans basically to subsidize the CCP. So she will be here to tell us about that legislation, what she's doing, the January 6th committee, all of the craziness that's going on in Congress. Plus your emails all straight ahead. First though, the Monica memo. So the New York Times, which is still considered the premier voice for the propaganda press and for the left the New York Times ran a very revealing article over the weekend. Now, since the New York Times is the premier uh, left-wing organ, anytime they run something that's a little um, out of the ordinary, that, that that's not the usual leftist propaganda, it always catches my eye because I always realize that there's something else going on here, some deeper subtext, some deeper... Uh, maneuvering behind the scenes with the Democrats and the left, and they're they're putting it in the New York Times because they know that once it's in the New York Times, it's going to be amplified everywhere in the left-wing universe and then into the broader discussion in the country. So some people go to the Washington Post for that, and the Washington Post does have that kind of effect, but nothing like the New York Times. New York Times is still the biggest of them all in terms of left-wing media organs. When they want to convey something and then they really want it disseminated far and wide, they go to the New York Times. When they want something that they're saying or doing mainstreamed, they go to the New York Times. So with that in mind... New York Times ran this revealing article um, a day or so ago, and I want to go through it in detail because the reason for it is very clear. The power brokers of the left, of the Democratic Party, now realize that useful idiot Joe Biden is past his usefulness. They installed him for a reason because he was out to lunch, So if you're going to sabotage and destroy the country, you want a malleable person in there to just carry out the marching orders and and be a dope, basically. And that's exactly what they did. So they installed the dope who can't think because his brain is applesauce. They installed him in there to do certain things to get the, the fundamental transformation of the nation going and if the guy is senile and old he doesn't really care what his legacy is right <laughs> i mean think about it i know it's a brutal thing to say but it's true like if you're a president in his 50s say or late 40s like obama you're you're thinking about legacy i mean you know you're you're thinking beyond the presidency you're thinking presidential library you're thinking how am i going to cash in speeches around the world for the rest of my life for a million 10 million a pop whatever it is and you're thinking legacy and how to reshape the party in your own image after you leave you got a long runway when you're young and healthy when you're president and then when you leave when you're old and decrepit like biden There's no thought about legacy, right? Because you got one foot in the grave. This is why they installed him, because he wasn't really going to push back. His brain is mush anyway, so he can't even think about what they're telling him to do. He just does it. So that's why they put him in. But now they're starting to realize that, yes, he was a useful idiot for a period of time, but now he's past that usefulness. So they're getting ready to dump him. I'm not overstating the case here. They are getting ready to dump him. They started sending these signals several weeks ago. You started to hear some of this uh, be reported in, in more minor outlets, okay? But now they're starting to really make this a regular drumbeat, and that's why they went to the New York Times. They are preparing to ditch him. Mark my words, I'm telling you, they want him gone. You do not get articles like this in the New York Times if they didn't want him gone. They'd still be protecting him, but now they're no longer protecting him. He's too old. He's done the first phase of what they wanted him to do, and now he's a big political liability. So they want him gone, and they've begun to set it all into motion. How do we know? Well, here is this New York Times piece from about a day or so ago. Here's its headline. And I really want to break this apart because it's, it's, it tells you not just about the top line of the story, but it tells you how the media and the Democrats work hand in glove, how they coordinate to get a message out and lay the groundwork for something that they want to do. So here's the headline. Should Biden run in 2024? Question mark. Democratic whispers of no start to rise. Okay, so here's how it begins. Midway through the 2022 primary season, many Democratic lawmakers and party officials are venting their frustrations with President Biden's struggle to advance the bulk of his agenda, doubting his ability to rescue the party from a predicted midterm trouncing, and increasingly viewing him as an anchor that should be cut loose in 2024. So right there in the opening paragraph, you've got the three reasons. Remember growing up, if you ever took a, an English class like I did um, when I was a freshman in, in high school, um, that teacher, Mrs. Badiato, I'll never forget her. She was really tough, but she taught me how to write. She taught all of us how to write by being really tough. And one of the first things is, hey, in that opening paragraph, you lay out your argument and it's usually based on three points. If you want to persuade, three points, bing, bank, and bongo. <laughs> I still remember it to this day. Bing, bang, and bongo. Well, right here, opening paragraph, you got your bing, your bank, and your bongo. And your bongo is, he is an anchor that should be cut loose in 2024. The peace continues. As the challenges facing the nation mount and fatigued base voters show low enthusiasm, Democrats in union meetings, the back rooms of Capitol Hill, and party gatherings from coast to coast are quietly worrying about Mr. Biden's leadership, his age, and his capability to take the fight to former President Donald J. Trump a second time. So by the second graph, you guys, they've already inserted Trump into the conversation. Okay, here it goes. Interviews with nearly 50 Democratic officials, from county leaders to members of Congress, as well as with disappointed voters who backed Mr. Biden in 2020, reveal a party alarmed about Republicans' rising strength and extraordinarily pessimistic about an immediate path forward. Okay, so right off the bat, they're telling you that they have spoken with a ton of Democrat leaders who are all in agreement that Biden sucks and he needs to pass from the scene. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if the Democrat power brokers actually called the New York Times and begged them to write this piece. Maybe not even beg, because they're all on the same page. Ask them pitched them the story and said, we'll furnish all of these voices for you on the record quotes, off the record, on background. We'll, we'll, we'll give you the piece. The piece will write itself, but you really need to, to do this. I, I, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure this is what happened. I don't think the New York Times reporters said, gosh, golly, I think it's time for a should Biden go piece. Maybe they did, maybe I'm wrong, but I think they're all working in in close coordination here. The Democrats went to the Times and said, we will tailor-make this piece for you, we'll provide everybody, just freaking write it. And the New York Times was like, okay. So for real, I mean, I, I think they all just teed it up for them. Plant the story, get the narrative going. It continues here with a brutal but true quote. To say our country was on the right track would flagrantly depart from reality, said Steve Simeonitis, a Democratic National Committee member from Miami. Mr. Biden, he said, should, quote, announce his intent not to seek re-election in 24 right after the midterms. Okay, so there is your first on-the-record quote, but hold on, gets better. The piece goes on. Most top-elected Democrats were reluctant to speak on the record about Mr. Biden's future, and no one interviewed expressed any ill will toward Mr. Biden, to whom they are universally grateful for ousting Mr. Trump from office. But the repeated failures of his administration to pass big-ticket legislation on signature Democratic issues as well as his halting efforts to use the bully pulpit of the White House to move public opinion, have left the president with sagging approval ratings and a party that, as much as anything, seems to feel sorry for him. Feel sorry for him? They installed him in office knowing that he was a hack and a jerk with dementia. Feel sorry for him? Give me a break. The piece goes on to say, That has left Democratic leaders struggling to explain away a series of calamities for the party that all seem beyond Mr. Biden's control. And they mention inflation and gas prices and some other things. But notice how they absolve Biden of all responsibility for the crises plaguing the nation, like inflation and gas prices, as if those problems just magically appeared as if Biden and the Democrats had nothing whatsoever to do with them, when they have complete control in Washington. They always are like, oh, you need to give us total control so we can do the right thing by the country. Well, more and more Americans see that their right thing for the country is wrong for them. They have got to choose between groceries and filling up their gas tank just to go to work. But you see how the press in this case, the New York Times, how they cover always for them, but they just sort of explain it away like, oh, all of these things just materialized. And Joe Biden is having a hell of a time dealing with the, the nightmares that he was dealt as if no president ever deals with nightmares, as if Joe Biden is the first one. Guys, I remember when Obama came into office and during the Obama presidency, the hacks in the media did the exact same thing they made it sound like obama like like he just alighted on the scene as the first president to ever have to handle anything tough there's another piece maybe we'll get to later in the week that has a similar kind of thing but understand when you're reading this 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 is what's really going on here and it's embedded in the piece it's all of these premises that are buried, whether it's television or where you're listening on the radio or, or you're reading pieces like this, the premises that are, that are buried into every sentence are wildly incorrect because the bias just drives everything. Okay, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, I have more on this piece, including the kicker which you are not going to want to miss, I promise you. It's the whole point of this piece. It's delicious. I'm Monica Crowley, back in a flash. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double, and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, welcome back, guys. We are taking apart this piece that ran over the weekend in the New York Times about Democrats questioning Joe Biden for 2024. And what you will notice as we go through this piece, including that there's one thing coming up that tells you what all of this is really all about. But you will see that it, it, they qu- start questioning him, and we're going to get to that. That's coming up next in this piece. They use the age as a euphemism for senile. They will not call him senile. We will, because he is. But they won't do that. But they'll they'll couch it in. Well, gosh, golly, he's in his late seventies, bordering on eighty. The the guy is old. He's an old cat. <laughs> so they'll they'll euphemize it. But this is what they mean. But also, he has outlived his purpose, and that is the real purpose of this article. Okay, so we're picking up where we left off, and this is where the piece gets really going. Listen, to nearly all the Democrats interviewed, the president's age. 79 now, 82 by the time the winner of the 2024 election is inaugurated, is a deep concern about his political viability. They have watched as a commander-in-chief who built a reputation for gaffes and has repeatedly rattled global diplomacy with unexpected remarks that were later walked back by his White House staff and as he has sat for fewer interviews than any of his recent predecessors. Here is the kicker, guys. Listen carefully to this quote. Quote, The presidency is a monstrously taxing job, and the stark reality is the president would be closer to 90 than 80 at the end of a second term, and that would be a major issue, said David Axelrod, the chief strategist for Barack Obama's two winning presidential campaigns. Axelrod goes on to say, quote, Biden doesn't get the credit he deserves for steering the country through the worst of the pandemic. I got to stop there before we go on. The worst of the pandemic was under President Trump when it became an unprecedented situation for a president who uh, had never, there was nobody that the president could turn to for advice. The last pandemic was 100 years before. So there was no one, Trump or Secretary Mnuchin or or anybody in the Trump administration, there was no one that they could pick up the phone and call and say, hey, what did you guys do in the last pandemic? Any advice? This was an unprecedented situation. We were all flying without a net. We shut down the global economy. We shut down the U.S. economy. And we were dealing with a novel coronavirus nobody had ever seen before. Was it the flu or was it Ebola where you're dead in 72 hours? Nobody knew. So for Axelrod to say, Biden's not getting the credit for steering the country through the worst of the pandemic, that is a flat out lie. By the time Biden came in, pandemic was pretty much under control. Trump handed him a booming recovery as we were starting to reopen, and he handed him uh, all of the vaccines, which were beginning to roll out, and a distribution plan for all of it. So, come on. Got to call out that lie where you see it, because that is BS. Axelrod's quote continues, He doesn't get credit for passing historic legislation, pulling the NATO alliance together against Russian aggression and restoring decency and decorum to the White House. Well, has Hunter been in there with his Coke bag? I don't know. I mean, the corruption runs so deep with the Biden family, but Axelrod wants you to know he's restoring decency and decorum to the White House. Um, And then the Axelrod quote continues. And part of the reason he doesn't get the credit is performative he looks his age and isn't as agile in front of a camera as he once was okay so this is brutal axelrod and and this is the whole reason for this piece they've buried axelrod in you know halfway through or whatever it is but they're hanging his quote in the middle of it because the whole reason for the piece is this it's brutal But Axelrod does not speak on the record often. So when he does, it means something. It means that he is sending a really important signal. And the question is, for what and for whom? Well, David Axelrod speaks for the Obamas. Every time Axelrod speaks, understand that he is conveying what the Obamas want conveyed to the country. And yes, I do mean both of the Obamas, Barack and Michelle, who may very well run for president. I said this at CPAC. The audience gasped when I said Michelle Obama. And I said, I know, don't shoot the messenger here, but we cannot live in a state of denial. Denial is a lovely place. I go there often, (laughs) okay, especially in this insane world. But when it comes to winning the presidency in 2024, denial is not our friend. We can't live in a world of wishful thinking. We've got to be prepared for the worst case scenario. And the worst case scenario is Michelle Obama. Our friend Joel Gilbert, um, who does uh, amazing documentaries, he is almost done doing a documentary exposing the real Michelle Obama He's got a book coming out that's a companion piece to the documentary, and when it comes out, we're going to have him on this show, because I think he's going to blow away a lot of people with the truth about Michelle. He's convinced she's running, and that's why he's doing this. So he will be here when it comes out, probably in a couple of weeks. But when Axelrod speaks, you know that he is relaying what the Obamas are thinking and what they want done. Okay. That's the whole reason for this piece. Next, the New York Times tees up how the race to replace Biden would be like a leftist hunger games. Listen, Mr. Biden has repeatedly said that he expects to run again in 2024, but if if he does not, there is little consensus about who would lead the party. Few Democrats interviewed expect that high-profile leaders with White House ambitions would defer Vice President Kamala Harris, who has had a series of political hiccups of her own in office. So, no top Democrats are willing to just hand it over to nervous breakdown Kamala. That's good to know. And if you're Kamala right now, you've got to be like crapping yourself. Okay, it goes on. These Democrats mentioned a host of other figures who lost to Mr. Biden in the 2020 primary. Senators Amy Klobuchar, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Cory Booker. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and Beto O'Rourke, the former congressman who is now running for Texas governor, among others. So this is their bench. Losers all. Bernie is too old. Klobuchar is like a low-rent Hillary. Buttigieg is a clueless dope. Focahontas is a crazy-eyed weirdo. Booker is an insane fantasist. And Beto is still wandering around trying to find himself. This is who they say they could turn to? I don't think so. More on that in a moment. So the piece goes on. It's kind of a long uh, piece, but I just want to highlight a few more additional items and then tell you what's really going on here. Then the New York Times cites some Democrats who think that despite his poll numbers and so on, that he still has the best shot and they're, they're out there defending him. But then the New York Times says this, quote, still, public polling shows that Mr. Biden is at a low point in his popularity among Democratic voters, A survey last month from the AP found Mr. Biden's approval among his fellow party members at 73%, the lowest in his presidency, and nine points lower than at any point in 2021. There is little recent public polling asking if Democrats want Biden to seek a second term, but in January, just 48% of Democrats wanted him to run again, according to the AP's polling. Elected Democrats are cautious about openly discussing Biden's future. Quote, I'm not allowed to have feelings right now, said Jasmine Crockett, a Texas state representative. Still, Ms. Crockett lamented a stark enthusiasm gap between Republicans who, listen to this, who in Texas have passed legislation to restrict voting rights and abortion rights. See how the New York Times just casts common-sense laws on election integrity and life issues? And they bury it. Again, it's all buried in the premise, right? And then they go on, while expanding gun rights, God forbid. (laughs) And Democrats who have not used their narrow control of the federal government to advance a progressive agenda. Ms. Crockett said, quote, Democrats are like, what the hell is going on? Our country is completely falling apart. And so I think we're lacking in the excitement. That's an understatement. The enthusiasm gap is huge, maybe even record-breaking. Here's another tip-off, guys. The piece says, many Democratic leaders and voters want Mr. Biden to fight harder against Republicans, while others want him to seek more compromise. Many of them are eyeing 2024, hoping for some sort of idealized nominee, somebody who isn't Mr. Biden or Ms. Harris. You hear that? An idealized nominee. Then it goes on, it quotes Howard Dean, who says, you know, we need young, we need hope. And then it goes into a couple of Democratic voters who are very disappointed. And uh, one guy, says he's 33. He's a data analyst from Maryland. And he said, quote, I need an equivalent of Ron DeSantis, a Democrat, but not a 70 or 80 year old, a younger person, he said. Someone who knows what worked for you in 1980 is not going to work for you in 2022 or 24. So they're searching. And I love that this guy used DeSantis as a comparison that tells you how powerful DeSantis really is and how afraid of him they really are. And then there are the questions about Biden's inability to persuade centrist Democrat senators to back his agenda. In other words, they're mad that Biden didn't move the party further left. It goes on to talk about the anxiety among Democrats uh, about black voters and others hemorrhaging away from the Democratic Party. But then the piece ends this way. Even some of the earliest supporters of Biden's 2020 campaign are now questioning whether he can lead the party through another daunting election cycle against Mr. Trump. Ann Hart, a Democratic Party co chairwoman in Iowa's Alamaki County, endorsed Biden ahead of the state's 2020 caucuses and introduced him at a meta campaign stop. Ms. Hart is a retired school principal and she cannot imagine how Mr. Biden manages the presidency at 79 years old. I get to ask to run for things. Are you kidding? I'm 64, she said. We need youth. So I kind of admire him wanting to take this on and I hope he'll pass the torch. Another member of the DNC put it more bluntly, quote, Democrats need fresh, bold leadership for the 24 presidential race, That can't be Biden. No, it can't be Biden, and it won't be, guys, okay? This is the reason for this whole piece. Biden is incapable of doing the job. His presidency is over, and everyone knows it, except for Joe Biden, because he's senile. Now, stories like these are clearly meant to lay the groundwork and prepare the public for removing Biden somehow. He may last through this term. He may not. I don't know. But they clearly want him gone. And they're preparing everybody for someone new. Who is that going to be? I really don't think it's going to be any of the names that they mentioned here. I think all of those names are just distractions. They're, They're like shiny objects they're throwing out there so you don't see the real... Uh, possibility, the real people who they may put up instead, these people are all just losers. And the Democrats need to win. They need to win to keep their great reset going. They can't afford to cede time and power to Trump again or DeSantis or whomever. Their great reset requires time and power, so they can't blow it. That means they aren't going to roll the dice on Kamala or Mayor Pete, okay? It means that they're going for someone who could actually have a shot. It could be Hillary Clinton, who's been a bit quiet lately, so she's probably plotting her 25th comeback. Or it could be Michelle Obama, who, as I said, would be very difficult to beat, Think about why they quoted, on the record, why they quoted David Axelrod, because this is coming from the Obamas. Plus, you know in this piece, when they referenced an idealized candidate, that's who they mean. You think Buttigieg or Amy Klobuchar is an idealized candidate? No, but Michelle is. I could be wrong but I think it could very well be Michelle. In which case, we're screwed. It's not impossible to beat her, but it would definitely be an uphill fight. And articles like this from the New York Times, they're laying the groundwork. Mark my words and prepare now. All right, before we hit a quick break and on the other side, we're going to talk to my good friend, Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. I just want to take a moment to welcome a great new sponsor, Birch gold. You know, you hear me talk about the weakening economy and it actually in the first quarter shrank by 1.5%. So some people are saying that we're already in a recession. You also hear me talk a lot about skyrocketing inflation. We just got the latest inflation numbers and they're again at a 40 year high. And then you look at the stock market Tons of volatility in there. Amazon is down 37% in the first half of this year. Tesla down 40%. Crypto's getting slammed. And a lot of people fear that the hawkish moves by the Fed could stall out the economy. So, what's your plan? Well, now might be a very good time for you to diversify into gold the most stable asset in the history of the world. And Birch Gold is the company I trust to help you convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold and silver. So text MONICA to 989-898 and get your free no-obligation info kit on gold from Birch Gold. They are the precious metals professionals I trust and so should you. Text Monica to 989 898 and secure your savings now. To help secure your future and your family's future, text Monica to 989 898 now. We'll be right back. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my good friend. Claudia Tenney. She is a congresswoman representing upstate New York, New York's 22nd congressional district. She is a fierce America First fighter. And uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Claudia and I went to the same college at different times, but we both attended Colgate. And we were put together a couple of years ago by one of the great conservative professors at Colgate, Bob Cranach, who we both had. And he said, you two need to know each other other. And so he introduced us. We've been friends ever since. And she is a true warrior for America. Claudia, welcome.
2: Thank you so much. And and, uh, both Colgate is just so lucky to have Bob Cranach.
0: He's
2: really amazing. He's brilliant. Uh, Just such a unique person. Uh, Really, you really creative thinker, and thinks through the issues and then just has this incredible data bank of knowledge from his extensive reading on philosophy and politics and everything. He's just an amazing guy.
1: You know, when you go to college or you send your kids to college, you're lucky if you get one conservative professor on campus. And when I was there, there were actually a few, so I feel very blessed. But Bob Cranach was one of them, and he is a fierce defender of Western civilization and American values, and he's just fantastic. And we're grateful to him for making you and I friends, Claudia. I do want to mention Claudia's campaign website, because like every Republican member of Congress, she is up for re-election this year, and she deserves your look and your support, go to claudiaforcongress.com and check out Claudia. So, all right, let's talk about what on earth is going on on Capitol Hill. We've got the January 6th committee running wild. Let me ask you, before we get into some specifics. And I do want to talk to you about the economy and how your race is going. But what is it like for someone like you who is uh, America first, you're part of the MAGA movement, you're unapologetically fighting every day for the American people. What is it like sharing a party and sharing Capitol Hill with someone like Liz Cheney, or Adam Kinzinger? Do you pass them in the hallways? Do you talk to them? Is it like a cold war now between them and and the rest of you? What's it like?
2: You know, it's funny. Liz Cheney was actually supportive of me in 2020 because she wanted to retain her position as conference chair, <clears throat> and she she uh, you know was pursuing and helping and and I never realized the depth of her Trump derangement syndrome. And it really is a diagnosable disease because obviously Adam Kinzinger and many others have it as well. The fact that one person could get you so unhinged to cause you to destroy your life, destroy your family's reputation, to side with Democrats who you know are not standing up for our values, who are doing uh, this damage to our country, just like watching the January 6th hearings. And Monica, you and I. We have talked about this. I lived in Yugoslavia, thanks to Colgate. They had a Yugoslav study group in the 80s. And I attended that study group. And then I continued to go back to Yugoslavia. And I worked at the Yugoslav consulate, the only American employed, and, and worked there for a year before I went on to law school. And though Yugoslavia was sort of a complex place, it was an authoritarian type of government. Uh, And you didn't stand up to the government. And people will always say, well, Tito was a benevolent dictator and he had died when I got to Yugoslavia. But, you know, if you disagreed with the Communist Party of Yugoslavia and and Tito, who was their famous leader for so long, there was an island in the Adriatic Sea where you were sent and you were tortured and and often killed or died. And there's numerous documentaries written about this. But the media doesn't like to talk about that because they're trying to present an image of socialism and communism as something that we should be embracing, which is the antithesis of our system of government, our self-governance and our freedom. We're in response to that type of uh, monarchy. Uh, I want to say they're a but the sort of, you know, growing communism from the Marxism and Leninism movements. And our country has just been, you know, been fighting this off. It seems like cyclical. And I see a Liz Cheney sitting up there with this, with this, and she's a lawyer, too. By the way, as lawyers, we take an oath to uphold the Constitution, not just as members of Congress, but as a lawyer, you have to uphold the Constitution and to sit there and have this piecemeal selected evidence without any opportunity for the defense to actually contrary put a contrary argument, to have a debate over it, to put it out in the public, it's really scary. It reminds me of like Soviet Union or some kind of propaganda you would see in a country like Yugoslavia, the former Yugoslavia, or particularly the Soviet Union, where they're they're legendary and in, in uh, really just killing people who disagreed with them across you know the, across the country, a Xi Jinping type of thing. And it really just looks like propaganda to selectively take sentences out of context, snippets of information, put it together in this. Made for TV propaganda piece that they are presenting to the to the world as if it's truth. And the fact that Liz Cheney has the gall—and I say the unmitigated gall—to get up there and say, "This is our Constitution," and you Republicans, whatever she made some statement that that we would anyone, you know, Donald Trump would be gone, but your shame or your yes, your your, your uh, dishonor will miss- live, yeah your dishonor will live. And I was like, Oh, my God, like, <laughs> your dishonor is is legendary now. And, and I'm just praying that someone like you is removed from office because of your complete uh, un- mat- lack of understanding for the Constitution. But you're just you're just so self serving that you're willing to do this, not only to our Constitution, but also to
1: yourself. Is it awkward on Capitol Hill? Do you have any interactions with her with Kinzinger? What's it like? What's the vibe?
2: I mean, I rarely see her. She she stays, from what I can tell. I watch the board sometimes just to see when she's going to vote. But I think she, I think she probably, you know, hangs out alone, or, or she definitely doesn't come into the Republican side. She doesn't, you know, have anything to do with anyone. Kinsinger occasionally will will come over to our side. He has some friends. I mean, I don't think he's quite as as just insane as Liz has become on this issue. You know, I it's like uh, I just have never seen anyone reach this level like I mean there's some media types but not someone like Liz Cheney whose father was the vice president but you know there was an interesting article written about Liz Cheney and Nancy Pelosi and how that incredible day when they celebrated or put out this day-long you know ridiculous tribute to January 6th this year it was interesting how they put this together like it was almost like a, a celebration. Uh, In this long, you know, long day uh, event about, and it was Dick Cheney and Nancy Pelosi. I think of Nancy Pelosi, not just someone who takes advantage of power, but the quintessential person who abuses power everywhere she can. And there's the Cheneys sitting there with Liz, uh, you know, with, with Nancy Pelosi. And there was an article written about a certain kind of authoritarianism. And that was expressed by Dick Cheney and also by – and that, that actually could kind of relate to uh, Dick Cheney. It was written by a Matt Tlaibbi. Oh,
1: Matt Taibbi like yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Taiby,
2: I, was, I knew, you know, a cultural leftist, but interesting uh, analysis of why – how the Cheneys and Pelosi came together. And it was an authoritarian type of – of analysis, which I thought was interesting, uh, at least an interesting viewpoint.
1: Yeah. And you know, what's incredible is Trump really broke all of these people. And he broke them not just by being who he is, but the entire America First uh, agenda and a movement. It broke, it broke the uni party. So it it created these strange bedfellows like Dick and Liz Cheney with, with uh, Benny Thompson and Nancy Pelosi, you know, who just a couple of years Jamie ago Raskin. and Jamie Raskin. But just a couple of years ago, all these people were calling the Cheneys war criminals, and now they're they're in bed with them, and it's just unbelievable but there is a serious realignment going on in the country and it, it you know under the obama years they they thought it was a democratic alignment But then when Trump came in, it's a more serious and enduring realignment where you've got disaffected Democrats and independents who now realize that the Democratic Party is is a party of Karl Marx. It's a Marxist revolutionary party. It's not the party of JFK or even Bill Clinton. So they're coming to our side. This incredible realignment is happening. And all of this political dislocation that you're seeing with Liz Cheney losing her mind and all All of this is a result of this, this grind that we're going through politically, and we're seeing it economically as well.
2: Well, you see people like Cheney and others who have been part of the swamp, they are part of the, the wealth creation that is going on among the political class in Washington. I mean, she ostensibly went and bought a house sometime in 2012, or right before she was getting ready and contemplating a Senate run, and bought a house in the nicest area in Wyoming, in a, a very large state, which is mostly rural and absolutely spectacular. But she buys a you know a house. Her husband is very involved. Apparently, has clients like the Chinese Communist Party and others. But all of it is symbolic of what's wrong. All this uh, concentration of wealth and power in Washington. And that was why Donald Trump was just such a you know a, a disruptor for them because he said, hey, let's move the Department of Interior out in the West where we have these federal lands where we ha- where most of its work would be done, and sort of dis- disseminate, get get rid of this this uh, concentration in in the swampy areas of, of you know Washington D.C., Northern Virginia, and that whole region, and 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 take their power base away from them where they've created this massive bureaucracy. And he was able to go in and do some of it, and I think you know, getting rid of some of the uh, you know this, this sort of swampy uh, strength and taking away their ability to pass uh, legisl- or pass uh, regulatory regimes that actually erode our constitutional principles by having these government bureaucrats have more power uh, than than we had than that than we have as individuals with our freedom that we have under the Constitution. So I think that all is disruptive to them, and they're very upset about that kind of thing. And that's where I think that Cheney, like so many others, have been able to capitalize and just become wealthy off of this. Yes. And I think Trump is, and, that, and they're obsessed with Trump's personality, which, you know, again, it doesn't matter what you do with these people, it's just who you are and, and whether you can be polite at a cocktail party in Washington, D.C., and everyone's, you know, charmed by you.
1: Right. Well, it's the same old nonsense from the swamp. We're talking to New York Republican Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. She represents New York's 22nd district. Check out her campaign website, which is claudiaforcongress.com and support her However, you can. So, Claudia, um, you know, obviously we're in the Biden economy, which sucks. We've got a weakening economy, skyrocketing inflation, sky high gas prices, a labor crunch, an ongoing uh, supply chain crisis. The markets are roiled. It, It looks like we're heading into a recession. All of that being said, there is still chatter that we're hearing uh, from the Democrats that they would like to continue to pass more spending and that they're trying to negotiate with Manchin and some others about getting at least some elements of Build Back Better through before the election or at least before the end of the year. And they're talking about an additional $1.2 or $1.3 trillion in spending. What are you hearing and what can you tell us?
2: We've heard about this, but I have to say, Monica, I watched you on TV the other night and you were talking about energy and you said this is deliberate. And you're absolutely right. The, the rising cost of gasoline, which actually contributes greatly to the inflation and the spending and all that together. This is deliberate. I've had Democrats tell me and that maybe leftists, not not, you know, middle center uh center left democrats or the more moderate types i've had people say this to me for years constituents on the far left or the or, or just on the left who've come to me and said we need to have gas and this is back when gas was like two three dollars a gallon we need to get to six seven and eight dollars because people will then realize they can't just go down to the convenience store and buy milk three times a week they will have to be forced to stay home to ride bicycles uh, to put use hay bales as insulation, put solar panels on their roofs and buy a windmill for their backyard. I mean, they actually believe this stuff. They don't understand that energy is prosperity and that we are going to have a disaster. They continue to spend. They continue to attack fossil fuels. They continue to attack any other viable energy. We have a crisis with energy, which is causing all of this. It's really the heart of everything. If we do not have reliable energy, We will continue to decline as a nation. You will continue to see supply chains uh, problems. You will continue to see inflation, and yes, we will end up in a recession. And it's and it's the biggest contributor to this is the war on energy.
1: Yes, uh, absolutely. And uh, the point that I was making on TV when you saw me, Claudia, is that the reason they continue to attack energy is because it's the biggest of them all. It's the biggest lever that's available to them to fundamentally transform the the nation. So while they talk about the Green New Deal and climate change and the environment, and I guess they care about some of that, but that's not really what this is about. This is about re-engineering the economy into a more socialist, collectivist model and energy is the biggest thing that they can use it's the biggest weapon which is why they're constantly at it um so let let me just agree so are you hearing about new spending new tax hikes
2: we've heard some discussion about the build back better in some form or another coming through we've heard that mansion is not supportive of it or cinema who are the two senators who by the way do not have um moderate voting records. they both have fairly far left voting records, but they're holding strong on the filibuster, which is preventing this whole house of cards under the Biden administration from really just destroying the United States. And I, I gotta tell you, I agree with you. This is really, this whole, you know, with the Green New Deal, all this, all this stuff, really, it's really about power and control and really turning us into, uh, you know, the, 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 the people at the top are the ones that are creating these green energy companies These private equity firms are creating, and some of them are well-intentioned, but they're creating these green energy firms and the government money is being plunged into those firms. And so these very, very wealthy elites are going to end up controlling the world in a lot of ways if they continue on this path. They don't care about inflation or cost.
1: Well, that's exactly right. This is about the Great Reset, which is happening globally, and this is the American version of it, which they're carrying out. Uh, before I let you go, Claudia, tell us a little bit about your race. So, for those of you who don't know, New York State had a big back and forth and big legal fight over uh, redistricting, redrawing the congressional map in New York, and a judge threw it out. The Democrats, of course, wanted to hijack it. They drew a crazy map, um, but a judge threw it out. So. There is a new map, I guess, going forward. Tell us a little bit about that and how it looks for you.
2: Yes, it was really incredible that the uh, Court of Appeals, all Democrats in a 4-3 decision throughout the Democrats gerrymandered lines. Uh, we had a special master that came in, and I, I think uh, because the time was short, I don't know if the lines are that much better, but it has given an opportunity for more Republicans I'm running in a new district that is uh, part of what I represent now. It's New York 24. It's very long. Uh, it was dubbed the Lake Effect District. It starts in Alex Bay in Jefferson County and winds all the way around Lake Ontario, all the way to Niagara County and includes the Finger Lakes. Uh, so the Lake Effect District really fits it. Uh, it's in a spectacular part of New York. I call it the the uh, the breadbasket of New York. It's where our dairy farms and our a lot of our agri-economy is. Uh, We have everything from, you know, wine to crops to beef to dairy and from dairy roots. uh, My family, uh, my mother's family are farmers. You know, it's it's really a tremendous opportunity to get to represent uh, a new part of New York, mostly new, uh, that is a strong Republican district. Uh, It's going to be much more Republican than the district I represent, but uh, good conservative roots, but an area that's got an opportunity to have a strong representative that's going to probably going to be on the uh, Ways and Means Committee, which is the most powerful committee in Congress. That's my my mission. And to bring as much uh, to this region and prosperity back to New York, a glimmer of hope uh, for our communities uh, in upstate New York, finally.
1: Yes, which we desperately need. And you're such a fighter, Claudia. God bless you for doing what you're doing and stepping up and representing all of us and your, certainly your district in upstate New York. Claudiaforcongress.com is her website. Please check her out, support her uh, however you can. She's a true America first fighter for all of us. And I am blessed to call you my friend. Claudia, thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be on your show and to
1: call you my friend as well. Uh, thank and you a so fellow much.
2: Fellow Colgate alum.
1: Yes, absolutely. All right, Claudia, go get him. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, you guys, it's now time to dip back into the email bag. Keep those emails coming. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com with your pet peeves for the complaint department or anything that we're talking about on the show. Questions for me, anything you want, I read them all. So keep them coming. John writes, primo podcast. Well done. Your sagacity is needed in this befuddled world. Well, thank you so much, John. I appreciate those kind words, and I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. I do try to make sense of this mega befuddled world, and I'm glad that you're with me on the ride. Karen in California writes, Monica, I have followed your career over several decades. Am I that old? I don't know about that. I fell in love with you during the Obama administration on the John Batchelor Show, where you were always the best and clearest voice of true conservative reason. Whenever the world is falling apart, it's your voice I seek. Love the podcast. Yes, it's all of a piece. And there she's talking about how I always try to tie everything together because the left works in coordination and has been for decades. And so what I try to do on this show is take all of these different aspects of what's coming at us and put them together for you into a narrative that you can understand and a narrative that makes sense of what's really happening here. Because yeah, it is all of a piece. Karen goes on to say, When I heard you with Alex Marlowe on Breitbart Radio, I immediately subscribed to the podcast. I want to give you a five-star review, but my app doesn't seem to allow it. I have an Android, so I don't know where it makes sense to review you. I could write one on Google. Any place I am able to, I would love to review you. I am a longtime Zealous fan. Well, thank you so much for the sweet words, Karen. It made me smile to know that you've been cheering me on for so long. I'm really grateful for that. And as for not being able to review this podcast, I am not sure because I've got an iPhone. So can anyone out there with an Android help Karen? If you can, shoot me an email to monicacrowleypodcast at gmail.com and I will read it on the air to help Karen leave a five-star review. And for anyone else with an Android who also uh, might be having issues, we got to help a girl out. And I'll always take a five-star review wherever you want to leave it. So thank you very much, Karen. And, and uh, audience, let's help Karen out. Shoot me an email, monicacrowleypodcast at gmail.com. Okay, that does it for me today. Have a great start to your week, and I will see you right back here on Wednesday.